Welcome to the Nashville Women's Health Podcast. This podcast was created as a way to provide education and connection to the women of Middle Tennessee. My goal is to connect you with local women's health and fitness providers so you know what services are available in your area. I am your host, Amy Bailey. I'm a local women's health physical therapist, yoga instructor, and life coach. Thank you for joining the podcast and being a part of this amazing community. another edition of the Nashville Women's Health Podcast. Today, we are going to do our second episode in our series of three with Rachel, and we are talking about endometriosis. So Rachel, thank you so much again for agreeing to join me on these three podcasts. Um, I think our audience just is going to learn so much from what you have to say and just from sharing your story. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me, Amy. I'm very happy to talk about my story. And um, yeah, let's get to it. All right. So we kind of finished off last time that you had been going through years of not knowing what was going on with you and just some odd symptoms that aren't classical endometriosis symptoms, and that you had finally sought out a doctor who had diagnosed you with endo. So kind of start us there with your diagnosis and where we went from there. Yeah. So last time I talked about how, um, I went to California and um, I was so fortunate to be able to see Dr. Iris Orbuck um, when I flew out there and she diagnosed me with endometriosis. But as you were, as you know, Amy, she could only give me a 90% diagnosis because she can't a hundred percent let me know until she's actually in the operating room. So, and I mentioned that that's really um anxiety provoking and very um it's upsetting too that there's nothing today in 2023 that can help you know if you 100% have endometriosis before you're actually in the operating room right because a lot of people don't want to go under the knife i mean nobody really wants yeah. to but some people are like absolutely not yeah so that was so i was very nervous um but i did feel in my gut that this was it and but i did doubt myself even getting ready to go into the surgery like what if this isn't it you know but anyway so i can definitely um empathize with people and understand how scary that can be and then you know you're already paying for the cost of surgery and you're you're you know changing your entire life hoping that this is what it's going to be. So I, I definitely can understand how, how difficult this decision um, is. And, and so basically after I saw Dr. Orbuck, she put me together with a team of medical professionals and you were one of them. And I'm so glad that she did that. This was really exciting that we got to meet each other. And uh, so basically she, um, Dr. Orbuck actually had a, um, a patient who lived in Nashville and who saw you and um and so she said i already know of a good pt in nashville and so that was one of the first things we talked about now i had never heard of pelvic floor physical therapy and i never have heard about that i didn't know what it was and i and i definitely did not i i did not even know that it was part of the treatment plan for endometriosis so amy can you talk about what you do and and you know, I guess also why do, why do we not know about this? You know, why is it not something that's commonly discussed? Yeah, I mean, I think just it's not commonly discussed because of the taboo nature of the pelvis and the pelvic floor in general. 
I do think people are starting to talk about it more. I think with Instagram and TikTok, we're hearing so much more about the pelvic floor, um, but there's still a lot of misconceptions out there. Um, and so getting the word out is really difficult just because of the nature of the conversation. Um, I, I joke with people and I say that I talk about pee, poop, and sex all day long. Well, a lot of people <laughs> don't want to talk about pee, poop, and sex, or they're ashamed <laughs> to talk about it. Yeah. So that restricts the information in general. But yes, I mean, of course, in my opinion, pelvic floor PT is an essential component to anybody with a pelvic pain diagnosis, um, but especially with endometriosis. And it is one of my passions is to treat people and help support and walk this journey with clients who have pelvic pain because, you know, it's easy to identify as I am my pain or I am endometriosis instead of seeing the bigger picture of, no, I am someone who has endometriosis, who also has periods of time where I don't have pain. Because I think when we have such extreme pain, that's all we see and that's all we think we feel. And so being that person, they are saying, you know what? Let's track your symptoms over the course of a couple of months. Let's see if there were days that you felt less fatigued, days that you felt less pain, you know, and just helping them connect to their body and recognize where is this pain specifically? Where are you holding tension? How can we work with different tools such as your breath, massage, hot, cold, trigger point release, um, exercise, stretching, meditation? How can we incorporate these tools to help you combat these sensations during the course of your month. Just building that toolbox and understanding and educating the client that not every tool works all of the time, but to have enough tools that you have something that'll help you. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I thank you for explaining that because I'd like people to know more about what we do. And so um, I will just give a little bit of information about some of the things that we work on together, Amy, because I think it's... Um, it's it's good to be informed on you know what a what a, a PT session might look like for someone who has endometriosis. Yes. And so so this being one of the parts of my treatment was we would first start out where I would go to you and I would spend an hour with you and I remember um, my pelvis was very overactive right which means that the muscles are um, very tight and. Um, I had a lot of spasms and I didn't even realize that this was occurring at all. Uh, so I remember we did a lot of internal exams and you would stretch a lot of the muscles in my pelvis in internally and also externally. Um, and, and so, and that was really challenging for me at first to be able to actually relax and to relax my muscles and for you to even touch my muscles without them spasming. It's a very vulnerable position to be in, especially mm -hmm. if somebody's touching an area, number one, that is private, but number two, you have associated with pain or discomfort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And so um, this was before my endometriosis surgery. So there was a lot of, uh, we felt a lot of tension on my right side and we kept saying, I bet that's where some of the endo is. We couldn't see it, but, you know, it was just the, the tension was there. The muscles were really tight and it would be really difficult some days to work through that. And then something else that I have felt that really, really helps me is, you know, struggling a lot with endometriosis for me comes with constipation. And so Amy, can you talk about, so what Amy does is she actually physically moves you know, through, you know, her hand over my stomach. 
uh, to go through the intestines and to kind of move around these blocked areas. Yeah. Yeah. So that what that is, visceral massage. And so we are going through multiple layers. We start at the skin layer and work through the fascia, releasing tension in the skin, the fascia, getting deeper through the muscles. And it takes time. I can't just immediately place my hands and go that deep into your abdomen. Nobody would tolerate that. People would tense up. So it is a process of relieving tension throughout the body and eventually getting down to the organs and just creating some movement there, bringing in blood flow, circulation, improving the motility through the intestines to help with that constipation. And, you know, what do we do when we're in pain or constipated? We tense up even more, which restricts oxygen and blood flow to the area, which restricts any flow throughout that area. It makes it more difficult to even pass a bowel movement because then your pelvic floor muscles are also tense in response to that. So I think that's one of the biggest takeaways is learning how to breathe and move your body even through painful cycles. Yeah. So that, that is, that has been the visual massage has been the, the most, I think for me personally, the most helpful though, um, you know, everything has been really helpful, but just the constipation has been a nightmare. And so um, I, I love to talk about that more because I've noticed more patterns and I would love to help people with endometriosis be able to, to connect those patterns at certain times throughout the month when you might be the most constipated and kind of the tools that I use now to help me um, because I would have loved to know this, like, you know, even last year, what would have, you know, how to help myself. But anyway, so that was one of the first parts of treatment was working with Amy and still I am today. And Dr. Orbuck um, really talks about the importance of working with a PT because you're essentially undoing years of, of patterns that your body has created. And so it, it takes a long time and sometimes years to undo all of that and to create new healthy patterns for your pelvic floor. Um, so that's the PT aspect. Uh, another part of my treatment was working with, um, and, and still working with the nutritionist, Dr. Jessica Drummond. Um, we talked a little bit last time about how Amy and I were both in her health coaching program and have since graduated. Um, but Dr. Drummond is also a nutritionist. And so I've been working with her. Dr. Orbuck actually has a lot of patients that works with Jessica. And so we really started from the beginning of, you know, last April, no gluten, no dairy, no soy, eating whole foods, um, and, you know, a, a no sugar. And so, and the reason for all this is endometriosis creates so much inflammation in the body and diet plays a really big role. You can either eat things that inflame your body or you can eat things that don't cause inflammation. And so my work with Jessica was a lot about removing the foods from my diet that were causing inflammation and gluten, dairy, soy, and sugar all, ca all cause inflammation. So I, I stuck very closely to this diet. I mean, I really I did exactly what she told me to do. And um, actually it was challenging because I never really cooked before. I always, you know, just went out to eat or would make things that probably just weren't healthy. And so 
I had to start from scratch, really learning how to cook. And that took a lot of effort. And it and it was also very tiring because I was so fatigued last year that it made it very difficult to even, um, you know, cook for several hours. Uh, but I'm very happy that I did it because now I can cook a wide range of foods and it's it's very healthy to eat at home when you can control what ingredients are going into your diet. So I know Amy, you're, you are also, um, or you've worked with a lot of people who are also to, who also follow an anti-inflammatory diet. Yes. Yes. All of my clients who are working on their treatment plan with endometriosis do follow this type of diet and it's challenging. Um, a lot of people that I treat travel for work. And so even mm -hmm. when they're on the road and they can't, you know, cook at home, they are searching out restaurants that they can even eat at or food they can order to get. So it is expensive to eat this way. Mm -hmm. It is time consuming. I mean, we never want to belittle how much work goes into this type of healing. And even though you feel better, what happens when you accidentally mess up, you know, and have the wrong meal or not even a mess up, but you have no choice. You're out of town for work or family or whatever, and you have to eat differently. Can, can you kind of explain what that would do to your body? Just changing your diet. Oh, yes. Um, for example, if I I would eat gluten or something that would irritate my stomach. Um, my bloating would come back in full force that evening usually. And, and then it would also be uh, painful. I would feel this sort of pain and discomfort in my intestines. So, and, and that's, I don't like to do that to my body just because of all the work that I've done now. I'm, I'm like, I just don't want to go back to that, but you know, it's hard. We make mistakes. I'm not perfect at all with my diet. I try very hard with it, but when I do travel, I just look for things that are going to be with the least ingredients. So maybe I would get chicken and a salad or, you know, potatoes, things that are vegetables, because I know they're probably going to be made with vegetable oil and things that are inflammatory, but I just try and eat the, the most anti-inflammatory food that I can. And I just, um, sometimes I pack things with me, um, some snacks and yeah, so I, I just do my best, but I, d I definitely can understand how people have a hard time with this because it takes a lot of work. And the, you know, the flip side of this is it can be very emotional when you're cutting so many things from your diet mm -hmm. so we have to make sure that we're adding in things that we do enjoy. So we don't hate food or hate mealtime or develop some unhealthy patterns with cutting so many things out. Yes. And so, and I would also find brands of things, um, for example, um, because I wasn't eating any sugar at all and I still try and, and not to eat sugar as much as I can, but I would find different things that were made with maybe coconut sugar or sugar from fruits. And that would be less inflammatory than eating, you know, just refined sugar. Um, I also cut out alcohol as per recommended by Jessica, because alcohol increases estrogen and it's very inflammatory. And, you know, with endometriosis, when estrogen rises, and that's one of the things that, you know, increases all these very uncomfortable symptoms. So, I definitely cut out all alcohol during this time. So yeah, that, so that was, so we have pelvic floor PT, um, then nutrition. And then also we needed to, to, to tackle down regulating the nervous system. And so this is something that I, so my nervous system was very upregulated 
when I first saw Dr. Orbuck. And I think she talks about it in a way it's like having all of your hands on a hot stove. Have you heard of that before, Amy? Like when she she talks about, um, you know, when you have endometriosis, you're it's like having five hands or something on on a hot stove top and so what we, and so your nervous system is always upregulated and people have a lot of anxiety and i had terrible terrible anxiety and it you know your body is is creating this because of the endometriosis and so the process of de- down regulating the nervous system includes you know removing each of these parts off of the hot stove and that takes a lot of time and so I saw Dr. Glenn Lipton. He is also in California and I would see him virtually, but he um, works closely with Dr. Orbach and her patients to downregulate the nervous system. And um, I am, I am a, the type of person that I really try to avoid. I, I try to first start with a holistic way and the most natural way that I can for treating myself. And, and, you know, when I work with other doctors, that is, that's something that's very important to me. Um, however, I did have to definitely use more, you know, invasive medical interventions from dealing with endo. And I have no regrets about that. One of the the ways to downregulate the nervous system that Dr. Orbuck sees has good, you know, results with her patients is using this medication called pregabalin. It's also known as Lyrica. And essentially what this does, this medication helps you to you know, relax your body is all the muscles are so tense and it helps you to just downregulate that. And, and the idea is to be as downregulated as possible to go into surgery. And in fact, when I first asked Dr. Orbach, okay, when can I have surgery with you? Because I was so ready to be done with this. She would not even give me a definite answer until she noticed that my nervous system was downregulated enough. That's one of the things I actually love about Dr. Orbach is she completely looks at an integrative approach with her patients. Yes. Even though she is 90% confident you have endo, she is not going to put you under the knife till she knows your body and emotional state can handle it, which is beautiful. I mean, it, it lends to a more successful outcome. It really does. And when you say integrative approach, I think that's the key here. It's like, you know, um, using medicine when you need it, um, but trying, you know, a whole different, uh, trying a a multimodal approach where Dr. Orbach talks about, you know, we need to exercise a certain way when we have endo, doing yoga decreases inflammation, doing meditation decreases inflammation eating healthy decreases inflammation, doing pelvic floor physical therapy, you know, relaxes the muscles and and helps with motility. But then also there's this element of the medication that also helps your body. So I think using all of these different methods is very important and being open-minded to what works best for you or, um, being in a collaborative process with your doctor on what's going to give you the best results for what you're going through is very important. Yeah. And Lyrica can be a, a challenging drug to take. Mm-hmm. It can be very, even more fatiguing. It can kind of yeah. wipe out sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Lyrica was very challenging for me to take. I'm so glad that it, it's only a temporary thing. So um, Dr. Lipton is very, um, He's very thorough and he believes in, you know, you take this medication 
until surgery. And then you take it a few months after surgery to make sure that the body really stays down regulated. But it was very challenging because while it did some great things, we all know that medicine comes with side effects and, um, you know, the side effects were even more fatigue, which I was already experiencing. Um, and, and just kind of irritability in general, I would say I last year was one of the worst years of my life. And, but I'm sure that that added to it. It just, it just magnified, um, it magnified some of the hardships that I, I was already experiencing. Uh, somebody worded it and I'm not, I'm going to butcher it, but when we were at the below the belt film screening, somebody talked about Lyrica and their experience. Do you remember this? Oh no. What did they say? Oh, I want to say they said it was like the Lyrica being hit by a school bus or something because oh. just, you know, like smack you in the face and make you feel so fatigued, but it's, it traditionally given for nerve pain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, you know, it, it does have that dampening effect. So it can mm -hmm. calm our nerves and it'll calm our nervous system. But then that also may lead to this hypo-regulated state for some of us. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely, as soon as I uh, was finished with my surgery and as soon as I was cleared to come off of the medication, I did because I, I wanted to be free of everything, <laughs> basically just nothing in my body that I can't get out myself and, you know, wanting to be freed from medications and, and just trying to control my own health through other means. So, so, so those were my three, I would say three, um, three doctors. And then also, um, I started changing my exercise approach. I used to do a lot of strength training and, um, I realized that that was just, it was causing stress on my body. So I dialed that back. I started doing Pilates with Amy because Amy is a Almost, or are you now a certified Pilates instructor? Or? This is a process, but close to it. Close to it. And so I started doing Pilates with Amy and this was just so much more gentle. And I also started doing yoga uh, with my friend, Roxanne, who is um, a health coach. And so, and, and then I would start walking, but I was trying to do exercises that were low impact on my body. And, but that still included gentle movement because it's very important to keep moving when you have inflammation. Um, and sometimes it can even relieve fatigue from what I felt. So I changed a bit of my exercise approach too. And then, um, so I was doing all of these different things and then surgery for me was scheduled for August. So I didn't, I did not really talk about talk about surgery with anyone at the time, because first of all, I was still worried that, um, it, it wasn't going to be endometriosis yes. and I just felt multiple times. What if it's not endo? What mm -hmm. if I get the knife and she doesn't find anything? <laughs> <laughs> I used to talk to you about that. And you would say, don't say that, you know, it is, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I can't see through your stomach, but I'm a hundred percent confident you have endometriosis. <laughs> Yes. I remember that. And and then you, it was so nice because I had heard about some other people saying they were also worried about not knowing it was endo and then being, and then that being confirmed after the surgery. So, well, so it was, but it was definitely, it was just, I was nervous. So surgery. Can I interject here? Just because one oh, thing yes. we've not talked about 
is that your surgery was an excision surgery. Oh, right. We need so to talk. A lot of people don't have that as their first surgery. They do multiple, sometimes ablation procedures. Was mm-hmm. that even discussed with you in ablation? No. Um, so when I first, well, when I first saw Dr. Orbuck and she told me the differences in these surgeries. And so basically ablation surgery is is normally performed by an OBGYN that also delivers babies and that is not trained extensively in treating endometriosis. And so ablation surgery is when they when they open up your, you know, or, or essentially they can they make holes in your stomach, just like the ones that I have. And they go in there, but then they burn off the tip of the endometriosis lesions. And that is not effective because it creates, not only does it create a lot of pain, but also um, it just burns off the tip. So you're not taking out the root. You're not excising the root of the lesion. So Dr. Orbach and very skilled specialists for endometriosis do excision surgery, which is why it is so recommended to see someone who only performs these surgeries. She does not uh, deliver babies. She does not do, you know, other type of gynecological work. Um, she's strictly an endometriosis specialist. And I believe she said she, you know, she went to school for another 15 years following medical school and fellowship to learn this very specific technique. Um, so I had excision surgery, which is when when Dr. Orbuck removed the endometriosis from the root. So it will not come back. Um, so yeah, that's the difference there. I just wanted to clarify that because there are a lot of surgeries that people get and they may have temporary relief, but not full resolvement of their symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do see a lot of abla- people post ablation. And also sometimes the first go-to for clients is a hysterectomy. Mm. Oh, Yes if they have adenomyosis might cure some of their symptoms, but not if they have endometriosis. Yes. So uh, adenomyosis is when the, um, is when it's, it's basically like endometriosis, but inside the uterus and a hysterectomy is a cure for that because it's removing all of it. But with endometriosis, a hysterectomy does not cure that because endometriosis is, is around the uterus and in other places. So you really have to get rid of, um, get rid of that. So I, I did go in, when I went into surgery, um, you know, I remember, you know, it was, it was not the, the surgery day itself was not difficult. So you go in and at, at an early time and, um, I saw Dr. Orbuck first and well, I saw some nurses first and then I saw Dr. Orbuck and, um, you know, we got ready for surgery and I will never forget as I was entering the operating room, I said to her, what if this isn't it? I'm so nervous right now. And she said, let's, she said, let's do a meditation together. And she put her hand on my shoulder and she just started doing a visual meditation with me and talking to me about, you know, think, you know, think about this and that and and picture this and that. And I don't remember too much of it because within 10 seconds I was asleep, but I will never forget that because she could tell how nervous I was. And a great thing too, to, to know about Dr. Orbuck is that she herself has endometriosis. And so she knows what it feels like to go through this surgery and to undergo this treatment and how 
difficult it is. And I sense her passion. And that meant a lot to me that we did this meditation going into surgery. And um, yeah, I thought that was very nice. That's true. Um, we don't hear about that a lot of times. No. no, she's a very personable doctor and, and she understands what you are going through. And I, that's re- very important. Um, so after, the, oh, sorry. Trained in the excision surgery, just to kind of throw that out there. Um, Nancy's Nook is a great reference for people who are looking for an excision specialist. Um, uh, but sadly in Nashville, we don't have any excision special. We have one that I know of, but um, mm. the care that I hear from Nashville based excision specialists is not the same as the care that I get in my communication from Dr. Orbach for sure. And that when my patients come back and tell me. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that it's, it, that's very challenging because, you know, it costs a lot to fly across the country and, and go into a surgery. So figuring out who is in your area that is a good endometriosis surgeon can be very helpful. And, and through my work with um, below the belt, I, I recently discovered an excision surgeon surgeon in Louisiana, which I was very excited about because I had no idea. So there are, there's about, a, I think about 100 in the country who perform excision surgery and they are located all around. And I think that, um, some people, you know, can go through extreme measure measures to see a surgeon and some people, would like to stay or need to stay in their home state and that's okay. And I think uh, it's, it's better to find someone though, that can do the, the surgery the right way rather than just going, you know, to your OBGYN and getting an ablation surgery. Correct. Yeah, I agree with that. So um, surgery. Rec- so after the surgery, it was, it was a very hard recovery. I don't know if you'd like me to talk about that now, or if you want to, what did you say? Yeah, go for it. Tell us okay. about recovery because you were in California. You were away yes. from home. Yes. Yeah, so, um, I so the surgery recovery was, um, was was very difficult. However, I will say that I only took one pain pill, and that was the night of surgery, and that was it. And I was very glad about that because I was trying not to take any pain medication besides, you know, things like Motrin and Tylenol, which I did take for a long time after surgery, but I'm talking about like prescribed, you know, pain medication. Um, that night I took one and I slept, I slept a lot and it was just real. The pain was very challenging. It was almost like it was hard to stand up straight. I remember staying crouched over and that's how I would like shuffle through the hallways and walk. Um, because just standing up straight, stretching out my stomach was very challenging and did cause a lot of pain. Um, I do remember sleeping on my side, but also sleeping on my stomach didn't hurt. I'm not sure, sure why you would think that maybe that would hurt, but I, I seemed to sleep okay. And I was trying to stick to my normal diet. Um, but I did forget to share this the day before surgery, you have to do a what is it called, Amy, where you have to clean out your bowel? Like a colon um, cleanse or something? Something like that, a colon cleanse. I, I can't remember the, the name for it, but I had to drink a huge thing of magne- magnesium citrate. 
And that was very unpleasant because a lot of times when you go into endometriosis surgery, you can they can find endometriosis in the bowel and you have to have your bowels fully cleaned out for that. So I spent 24 hours drinking this magnesium and going to the bathroom and not being able to eat anything. And I, so I would say that was definitely difficult because I also struggled with blood sugar and balance leading up to the surgery. So I was needing to eat very often and, you know, not, not being able to eat for those hours was stressful. So that, that was another interesting piece um, of my preparation for surgery, but yeah. So, um, a- after surgery, besides not being able to stand up straight, um, I was okay. I, I was okay. I went home one week later. So I stayed in California for a week and then I flew back. Um, and, and then my recovery continued at home and it was it was definitely very challenging for the first 3 months to be okay i i experienced a lot of fatigue and i noticed myself craving a lot of beef i'm not exactly i i tried to eat more fish and chicken um leading up to surgery but i i i read that you know your body when your body is healing it really needs a lot of protein to heal and I kept craving just eating beef. <laughs> so I did eat a lot of beef for my recovery. And something I want to say is, is that it's okay. You know, I think people who have chronic illnesses, they're worried about disturbing their body or, or just trying to follow everything by the book and be being as anti-inflammatory as possible and, and just going to extremes to follow all of the rules. But sometimes you just have to listen to your body and your body will tell you what it needs. And if you don't like to eat beef, but you just need to eat it anyway, that's your body signaling that it needs something, you know, iron or whatever it might be from the beef. So um, that that was something that was challenging for me was to just surrender to what I needed rather than try and control it. Love that though. You were listening to your body. Yeah. Yes, that's one of the biggest things I've learned over the last year was how to listen to my body. Um, yeah, so so I'm trying to think what else, Amy, I did during those recovery. That recovery. Um, mm-hmm. You were still doing the same things. You were still seeing Jessica Drummond for nutrition. Mm-hmm. You were still seeing me for physical therapy. Yep. Um, you were still doing exercise. We were starting to incorporate back in some Pilates. You were meeting with your coach for yoga and walking. I was doing all of that. Um, and then I slowly started incorporating strength training again. And, um, now I only do it 30 minutes once a week. I used to do like 45 minutes twice a week. And so I I've still cut down a lot of, a lot of things that I used to do full on. And that's made a big difference in my personal, um, stress on my body and inflammation. And, um, so I, I was doing all of those other things. And then I'm trying to think, I think there was, I thought there was one more thing that I started doing a little differently. I did find out, oh, this was something else. I did find out post-surgery that um, Dr. Orbuck does suspect that I have adenomyosis. And so that was very um, discouraging at first to hear that there might still be, you know, left behind because I decided to preserve my fertility. So how that works is 
If you're in surgery and you decide not to preserve your fertility and Dr. Orbuck senses that you have or or notices that you have adenomyosis, which is endometriosis in the uterus, she will remove the uterus. She will do perform a hysterectomy. But if you say that you would like to um, preserve your fertility, and for me, that's something that was a personal decision that I made because I would like to have children in the future, um, she will leave the, you know, leave the uterus in. And then this is just something that you have to deal with. Um, so that definitely weighed on me a lot. I remember talking with you a lot about that. Yeah. You've seen fertility specialists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Just to make, to make sure that, um, and Dr. Orbuck refers all of her patients to fertility specialists because, you know, endometriosis, it decreases the egg quality. It decreases the number of follicles that you have. And so for your age, as an, as an average 27 year old, you might have, you know, um, let you, you would have less follicles and, um, your egg quality would be less, um, you know, not as good as someone who doesn't have endometriosis. So that was definitely a struggle, but I, I realize I'm not alone in that because so many women who have endometriosis go through that. Um, and, and, you know, you can do all these things though, as we've talked about all these therapies and, and anti-inflammatory ways to keep your, keep all of this at bay and to, to hopefully, um, improve your symptoms. I take a lot of supplements. So one thing that was recommended, and I recommend this to any woman, um, but CoQ10 is really good for your egg quality. So whether you have endometriosis or not, I don't see how it can hurt, but taking CoQ10 can, you know, um, improve the quality of your eggs. So I take that three times a day. And I also take, um, magnesium, which helps a lot with my constipation and, um, you know, muscle spasms. So, yeah. You know, and I think what I've noticed, um, following surgery is multiple things. I think the biggest thing we dealt with immediately was you were still having pain. Mm-hmm. And that's very scary coming out of a surgery because you're like, is this going to go away? But some of that pain was surgical pain, um, scar tissue, working through some of the scar tissue you had had from the laparoscopic incisions. Mm -hmm. Um, Inflammation and bloating was still there post-surgery. Oh, yes. Yeah. A lot of inflammation and bloating to where it bothered me so much that I couldn't fit into my clothes. I used to bring pants with me to... (laughs) to my session with Amy, a pair of leather pants, which by the way, I finally fit into, but I would bring them and say, why don't these fit? What is, why don't they fit? And really it's just about patience. Your body has been through hell and it's trying to recover and it's trying to heal. And that comes with bloating and inflammation. And I also had a difficult time with circulation and my, my butt and also my legs, um, And holding on to inflammation there. So I, I do a lot of things to make sure that I'm, you know, circulating like dry brushing and drinking warm water. And, and just the amazing thing, my, the amazing thing about my journey over the last year is that I have so many tools that I can pull out whenever I want, you know, I could say, Oh, my, I feel a little inflamed today. Let, let me go dry brush. Let me go on a walk. Let me sit in a hot bathtub or, you know, I'm experiencing constipation. I'm going to take magnesium and do a massage to my stomach. 
you know, so there's, there's all these different things that I've learned that I'm so grateful to have learned. And I, I really do want to share it with people because it's, it could have saved me years of traumatic, you know, pain on my body. I think you realize that you have more power over your body than you thought you did. You Mm -hmm. have tools that you can use to help heal yourself when things come up now, instead of just not knowing who to turn to. Right. Yes. And so I love that's... the leather pants, like bringing it to therapy. That is a functional, <laughs> real life situation. You uh-huh. know, it was a struggle for you. Like I, I bought these pants. They're cute. I love them. I used to fit into them and I can't. And now you can, you know, yes. your body did have to recover. Surgery is no joke. And just because we get things taken out doesn't mean we're healed day one post-op, right? It's still a journey. Yes. And Jessica talks about, um, acute healing from endometri- endometriosis surgery is three to six months, but it can take as long as 24 months for your body to be really truly healed. So I think just being patient with yourself, I'm, I'm a person who used to have an eating disorder and I would restrict my eating so much. And I also think it caused this snowball effect of problems on my body several years ago. Um, but I, you know, something that my friend taught me, my friend Roxanne taught me was um, just stop paying attention to it so much. So when I stopped every single evening trying to squeeze into a pair of pants and I just said, I'm going to let my body recover. And when it's ready to fit into the pants, if it does, if it is, it will. And I just put the pants away for several months. And then finally, when I started to feel more like myself and try on the pants. I'm like, oh, there you go. Rather than forcing something that's not meant to be. Yes. Yes. I love that. Training your body. Trusting that you have the ability to heal. Yes. Yes. And telling your body that, you know, I know that I'm healing. You know, talking to your body, your body's listening to you. And I think telling it the the right things is very important rather than saying, oh, why won't you fit into these pants? You know, you're so bloated, whatever it might be. I think that's another thing too, Amy, to, that I'd love to to mention is that we never know what other women are going through hormonally. And, um, you know, someone who's, who's bloated, you know, I used to have a, a some, sometimes still every now and then I have a, a, a stomach that's so bloated that it might look like I'm pregnant, but being cautious not to comment on people because you, you don't know, um, you know, they might have endometriosis. They might have something going on there that they can't help currently why their stomach is bloated or why their butt is inflamed or, you know, legs are not circulating. So that's something I've, I've realized a lot too. Yeah. Being thoughtful, how we talk to people and understanding Mm -hmm. that everybody has their journey. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So this is great. You've talked a lot about the treatment aspect of this. We've touched on the recovery for sure. Um, We do want to do a third episode, which I would love to take questions from the audience. If y'all want to email those to me at amy, A-I-M-E-E at thepelvicyogi.com, or you can instant message me on Instagram at thepelvicyogi. Um, We're going to talk more about the recovery in the third episode, but I think fielding some questions too for Rachel would be huge because her story is so intricate and you can just see what a journey it's been for her, how her symptoms weren't classical, but how she took such accountability for her own health and sought out answers that she wasn't getting from the medical community. So 
Um, she's a great resource for everybody, whether you work with people with endometriosis or you have it, or you suspect you have it, or you suspect somebody you know has it. Um, I just think she's a wealth of information for everybody. Um, so yeah, please send me some questions here. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on today, Rachel, that you think you want to get across? No, I don't think so. But next time too, in addition to questions, I would love to maybe talk about a month, one month or one cycle and explain maybe what I do and the tools that I use in case it's to help anyone. I'd also like to talk about acne and um, and how much that has affected me and what I have noticed of how to keep it at bay or get rid of it in some in some circumstances. So um, yeah, I would love to talk about that and, and whoever's listening might might like all the the current tools that I use and and want to use them for themselves. Yeah, I don't think we can have enough tools. And the more that people hear and realize, oh, I should try that, or I've never heard of that. I have questions about that. Um, some other things we've, we've, you and I have talked about is castor oil packs. Mm -hmm, um, for the liver. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can touch on that some too. Mm -hmm. or some, and if you want to discuss any of the supplements you've taken. Yes, I would love to. I, I would I, say that when I... <laughs> find a client with endometriosis, they are on $500 plus of supplements a month is what I usually find. Mm -hmm. And at that point, they don't know what's working and what's not working. But this is pretty typical for me to hear for my clients that have struggled with endometriosis or any sort of pelvic pain. Yes, I would love to talk about that too. So yeah. awesome. Well, thank you again so much. Um, Rachel is starting her coaching program. Do you want to talk about that today? at all or give people a resource on how to find you? Sure. So I, we can talk about that next time more too, but I am planning to start health coaching. Finally, I'm feeling better. And I, like I said, I really want to pass along as much of this information as I can to women. Um, but I do have an email. My email is rachel at 1216 period IO. And then my website is rachel.1216.io. So I'm just kind of, I just started on it. Um, but please feel free to reach out to me. And I would love to work with you and and be be a support person for you in this very challenging journey. And even if you don't have endometriosis, there are so many things influencing our hormones today that, um, that you can, with lifestyle changes, you really can get rid of it's very possible. So I think people give up or they, or they're used to living with fatigue for five years, but you, there are things you can do. So thank you. I would love to help people with that. Yeah. I think hormone problems is huge. And a lot of people will get general blood work done from their practitioner and everything's normal, but they right. still it show. So helping those people find answers and get the help they need is critical. Definitely. So, well, thank you so much, Amy, for having me. I'm so grateful for you and all of your wisdom. And this wraps up our second episode. Stay tuned for episode three. Y'all have a great week.